if you got a Bible, go to uh, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 17 today, looking at uh, verses uh, 11 through uh, 19. Happy Fourth of July. I'm grateful for the nation that we call home. The Lord has providentially placed you in this part of the nation for such a time as this to show and tell of his gospel, to be prayerful for our leaders, to love our neighbors, to plant seeds of the gospel, to be faithful in the planting and watering, to be praying that his, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's be found faithful as we pray. Let's be found faithful as we plant and water because the gospel is what brings about transformation. Jesus is our singular living hope who has the power to bring about radical transformation in the human heart. And that's our prayer. And that's what we work toward. That's what we plant and water as citizens of heaven providentially placed in this place for such a time as this. Today's the beginning of a six-week series of family services. We uh, Sun Chasers gears back up on August 15th with a new school year. And so this is an opportunity for us to give rest to those who serve on a rotation basis back there, as well as an opportunity for parents to be alongside kids. I know it has its challenges, especially with preschool kids and pre-K kids, but this is an opportunity for, for kids to watch you as a mom or dad or parents to be able to say, how do we engage in a, in a church service? How do we open our Bibles? How do we stand and sing? How do we how do we engage as the people of God gather together on Sunday mornings? And so I pray it's a blessing, a disciple-making opportunity for you in the coming weeks. We're in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. In the CSB translation, Luke recounts this story of Jesus doing ministry. Starting in verse 11, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. There's multiple rhythms to the Christian life. Here's one of them. His transformative change in us leads to our worship of him. His healing in us leads to our worship of him. His saving and sanctifying work in us leads us to worship of him. It leads us to bow down in thankfulness, praising him for his display of his goodness and grace and power in our lives so consider your own life for a minute. How has the Lord answered prayer in your life? What has He delivered you from? How has He led you away from the slavery of sin and toward freedom that is found only in Him? How did He save you? What's your testimony? How did He save you? How has He and is He healing you from something in your past? Where do you see His goodness and His blessing happening and occurring in your life? These are good, reflective questions for us to consider because when we pause long enough to remember them and recount, it leads us to thankful worship. And I will tell you that Maddie and Chris's wedding was one of those reflective moments for me, a visible reminder of answered prayer. 
Heather and I prayed for many years, being a pastoral household, praying that our kids would grow up and, and still love Jesus and still love his local church, even after being involved in a pastor's household. We have prayed that a church family would love one another well. We have prayed for her future spouse that that husband would love her like Jesus and to see visible reminders and pictures of his faithfulness and answers to prayer was a, was a sweet encouragement to us. And I'll tell you, the days, the day of, the days surrounding, it led us to this thankfulness, this gratitude for the Lord because he was the one, he is the one doing the work. He's a faithful and good father who cares for his sons and daughters. One of my hopes as we look at this passage is that the Lord might stir up in us three different actions, a remembrance of his past faithfulness and power, a watchfulness for his present day faithfulness, and then also a prayerfulness, an expectant prayerfulness that he is faithful for a thousand generations. He'll be faithful in the future, and so we want to pray with that in mind. And as we remember, as we watch, as we pray, that that would stir up in us this thankful praise to Him. So verse 11 again, while traveling to Jerusalem, He, Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. Luke has mentioned this a few times along the way here from chapter 9 to this moment. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and this journey toward Jerusalem is not a straight line. It's all over the place, really. He's not trying to make good time. He's trying to make and do good ministry and serve people and love people along that way. And what Jerusalem is ultimately referring to is that Jesus is on His way to the cross. His sacrificial death will take place there. He will lay down His life in our place so that through faith alone and by grace alone, we might discover and receive eternal life. And as that time draws closer, that time in Jerusalem, he is ministering to people along the way, including people like Samaritans who were despised. Notice that as Jesus is walking along the road to Jerusalem, he's pausing, he's ministering. And here he is, he, he's going to be healing. Verse 12, as he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Ten men, and what unites them is not their backgrounds, not their upbringings, because later on we'll see that they had different upbringings and backgrounds. What unites them is this common disease of leprosy. In that day, when you got a skin disorder, you had to go to the priest to be examined, and they would determine whether you were clean or unclean, and then whether or not you were contagious. If you pick up a rash or a fungus this summer, you don't have to come see me, okay? You can just go see your family doctor. I bet they will be a far greater help than I will be. Leprosy was terrible. The person's skin would begin to rot. Their, their body is covered in sores. It's highly painful, damaging to nerves, and often resulting in the crippling of hands and feet, maybe even losing your eyesight. A physically crippling disease, and on top of that, and equally as painful, it was a socially isolating disease. You often lived alone, or if you lived with others, you lived with other lepers. You were socially isolated from the city and from clean people and healthy people. You were not going to the temple to worship. You were not enjoying a shared meal around the table with other people. And because you were seen as unclean according to Jewish law, 
everywhere you walked, you had to be calling out, unclean, 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 unclean. Calling out your unworthiness as you walked, as you traveled, as you interacted with people. It's like the pig pen type of this dark cloud just following you wherever you go. So according to the law and according to social customs, they stood at a distance when they called out to Jesus. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They recognize that Jesus has the power to heal. They've heard of Him. They've possibly seen Him do miracles. Even the title they give to Jesus of Master recognizes that they know He has authority. Authority to heal. And they call out, have mercy on us. Show us compassion. Verse 14 When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Go and show yourselves to the priests, Jesus tells them. Before a leper could be declared clean and brought back into the community, a priest had to examine them again to ensure that they were clean. And yet, they were not healed when he tells them to go. He starts with, go to the priests. And what do they do? They go. They go before they know they are healed. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. As they go, they are hoping that Master Jesus would show them mercy. Nothing is seen yet, though. They go literally by walking by faith. Master Jesus has said, go, and they go. If they were walking by sight, they'd be thinking, this is silly. Why, why am I going to go there? Why am I going to embarrass myself in front of the priest with this disease that I can't take care of on my own? But they trust Jesus and His Word. They prayed. He answered. And they go. And as they go, God did the work. They are active in the walking, but God at the same time is the one active in the healing. Jesus brought healing as they walked. Imagine what that must have been like. Sores vanish. The nerve endings are restored. Possibly even a finger or toe that had fallen off is, is restored. Physical healing and restoration has taken place. And we don't know how long they walked before that healing took place. But as they did, the Lord did the healing. Luke 5, 12 and 13 tells the story of Jesus healing another leper. He says, while he was in one of the towns... A man was there and had le- who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So there, Jesus brought healing through touch. Here in Luke 17, Jesus brings healing not through physical contact, but rather, but rather by calling them to obedient faith. If we try and reduce how Jesus, how the Lord Jesus brings about healing, if we try to reduce that to a formula, then we are missing the point. What we can say is the common denominator in any sort of healing, whether it happens in eternity or here on this earth, the common denominator is Jesus, Lord Jesus, the Son of God, He alone is who brings about healing. So in this situation, in Luke 17, they are cleansed as they go. As they obey the words of Jesus and loved ones, this is such a good picture for us. 
such a good reminder of one way that the Lord works. Sometimes we sit and we pray, heal me, heal me, Lord, heal me, heal me. And at the same time, the Lord has given us his word, commands that are not burdensome according to 1 John 5, 3, commands that are for our good, our joy. And while we continue to pray for healing, at the same time, we ignore his word. We ignore commands that are for our good. We ignore areas of life that he's called us to repentance and heart attitudes that need transformed. Could it be that healing and the change that we are praying for, that we are asking of the Lord, comes when we begin to walk by faith and trust him in all ways and at all times? Could it be that his healing and transformative change comes as we begin to walk by faith? as we humbly repent? Again, we have no idea how long the lepers got along their journey before healing actually took place. But it occurred as they heard the words of Jesus and trusted. It happened as they acted in obedient faith. I'm not trying to set you up for a contract type moment of, okay, Jesus, I'll repent, take you at your word, but you better bring healing So don't interpret that as what I'm saying. Rather, as I consider this intertwining of the Lord Jesus healing in the midst of faith walking, I think of Philippians 2, 12 and 13, which says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So we work out our salvation. We obey His Word. We live in reverence to Him and His good and loving authority in our lives. And at the same time, it's God who is working in us. It's His power at work in us. The Lord healed the leper. It was His power at work. They didn't heal themselves as they walked. They were called to obey, and the Lord did the healing as they obeyed. So may we be people who would hear the Word and live it out. Trust it. Obey it. Know that it is for our good, our joy. As we consider verse 14 there, we learn some things about Jesus. Anytime we open up the scriptures, we have an opportunity to learn about who the Lord is, his character, how he interacts with people who are in need of him. And so kids, I would encourage you, parents, I would encourage you on your drive home, what do you learn about Jesus in verses 11 through 19? What do you learn about Jesus in verse 14? What do you learn about his character? How he interacts and how he responds to people. Verse 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Before it was Jesus at a distance Now it is physically near Jesus, falling face down at his feet. Physical distance before, now there's physical touch. You don't do this unless you are healed and free from the disease. The transformative work the Lord has done results in thankful worship. And Luke includes this detail at the end, but it's not by accident. He says the one who returned in worship was a Samaritan, an outsider. Not a Jew, but a Gentile returns praising God and giving glory to God the healer. Jesus continues, verse 17, asking three rhetorical questions 
Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. The other nine missed an opportunity to worship and trust. They experienced mercy and grace from the Lord, and yet it didn't lead to worship of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, There are far more who are prone to pray in a time of need than to praise God when He meets those needs. The ten prayed in a time of need. They called out to Jesus, Have mercy on us. And yet when that need was met, when mercy was given... Only one returns to praise God. It's often in the valley where we learn to pray. It has been that way in my own life. It's often in the waiting, the darkness, the the long night, the long season of life where the Lord is teaching us to pray. At the same time, I am learning, and this passage is challenging me, to respond in thankful worship when the need has been met, when His faithfulness has been on display, when healing and change has occurred, do you see how Jesus points out again that the one who returned was a Gentile, not a Jew? He says foreigner there. The implication is that the other nine were Jews. See, the outsider returns. The insiders don't. The outsider worships. The insiders don't. Charles Spurgeon also said this, external religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey ritual where only one praises the Lord. Nine return to the priest because that's what the law commands, but their hearts are not responded in worship. But the outsider returns in thankful love in that day. I don't know if you could get more outsider than a Samaritan who is despised by religious leaders and the Jewish people and a Samaritan who is also a leper. Out of the heart of the healed Samaritan who is no longer a leper, no longer part of his identity, comes thankful, worshipful, public, loud confession of glory to God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Out of a heart that puts its wholehearted trust in Jesus comes verbal and public confession. Jesus says in verse 19, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you implying that what has occurred in this Samaritan's life is far more than physical healing, far more than the blessing of health. He has received something from Jesus that the others did not. His heart is healed, not just his body, but his soul has been saved. Saving faith, we see here, produces worship. Saving faith stirs up in us devotion and allegiance. I don't believe there's one application to this passage where the one application should simply be, well, be more thankful, uh, be more grateful. Almost like the equivalent of the parent who says to their child, uh, now what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to say here? Say thank you. And robotically repeat it. 
but it doesn't flow from their heart. They're simply just doing it out of ritual, not necessarily out of a heartfelt response. The healed Samaritan is returning in grateful praise, not out of empty ritual, but in heartfelt response. The overflow of praise is coming out of a transformed heart. So, brother and sister in the Lord, may I remind you and I, we were the outsider. We were the outsider. We were the Samaritan leper in need of healing. We were the one with this internal disease of sin that we could not remedy on our own. We were the ones who at some point in our conversion stories, when we came to faith in Christ, we came to the realization that we were a sinner. We had missed the mark. It was not just others. It was us. God is holy. We were not. And that's an eternal problem that we could not solve on our own. We needed His mercy. We needed His compassion. The Spirit enabled us to come to understand that that we were sick. We were in need of a doctor. We were not well, and that doctor was Jesus Christ. And He came in the flesh. He heard your prayer of mercy and saving, and He was faithful to answer, to display extravagant love by dying upon the cross for those of us who were ungodly. By His wounds, we are told, Old Testament, New Testament, by His wounds we are healed. The foreigner receives salvation. The outsider is welcomed in and brought in and adopted. We have received mercy, meaning we have not received what we deserve. But rather we deserve condemnation and death. But that was laid upon Jesus upon the cross. Our condemnation, our death, He substituted Himself. So now, Romans 8, 1 For those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So now, in Him and all because of Him, we no longer shout unclean, unclean, unclean with our lives. But rather we shout glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Loved ones, in Christ, you are no longer unclean. You've been washed white as snow. So let your life reveal that identity. Don't return to sin, believing its lies, but flee from it because you're no longer unclean. Let your words and your way of life shout to the world, glory to God, glory to God. I'm no longer unclean. I'm now clean in Christ and I'm going to live accordingly. To those here or watching online who have yet to fall at the feet of Jesus, Confessing Him as Lord, may I remind you, all are welcome to trust in Jesus. Through faith in Him, we can be washed white as snow, our sins covered. Instead of being covered in our uncleanliness and our unrighteousness, through faith alone, we can be covered in His righteousness and His goodness, His holiness. Confess Him as Lord today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't delay. Confess Him as Lord today. Fall at His feet in worship today. Brothers and sisters, we've been brought together to be a people who would give thankful worship in response to His goodness. It is no longer our uncleanliness that unites us. It is no longer our uncleanliness, our upbringings, our backgrounds, anything of this earth that unites us. It is now Christ who unites us. Our shared calling out our shared worshipful response of glory to God 
Glory to God. Glory to the one who has made it possible. Glory to the one who has done the work. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live devoted to Him and dedicated to one another and driven to reach people. We exist to bring glory to God and that is not just an hour a week. That is 24-7, 365, a way of life. A way of life that shouts glory to God. We're going to move into a time of communion. Communion is for believers in Christ, parents, if your kids trust in Jesus, if they know Jesus, if they understand the gospel, they're welcome to take communion in this moment. Communion is a time for us to remember his, his life, his death, his resurrection. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are no longer at a distance. We are at his feet, adopted. Our First Impressions team members will be walking around with trays. These go down the rows. Um, both the wafer and the cup are together. There are gluten-free little uh, wafers there as well, if that would serve you well. I'd encourage you to be unwrapping these during this prayer time. Let's spend a few minutes in thankful worship in prayer, and then we will take the elements together as a unified family of God. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. And Father, thank you for sending your son to be the one who would substitute himself for our, for our lives. Thank you that upon your son, your one and only son, that you laid upon him that He bore the weight of our condemnation, our shame, our guilt, our uncleanliness, the shame that results from that, the chains that result from that. And thank You that in Christ we are set free. There is no now, now no condemnation for those in You. I thank You for the new life that we have in You. Thank You that we are set free not to go serve ourselves or serve our flesh or to be led by the flesh, but be led by the Spirit and serve and worship you and serve and love those around us. I pray that you would enable us by your Spirit's power to do that. I pray that you would give us a, a remembrance to your past faithfulness, that you would give us a watchfulness to your present day work in our lives, that you would also give us a prayerfulness, that we would pray with expectation of how you will be faithful in the future thank you that you're faithful to a thousand generations. Enable us to worship you well. Enable us to, to respond to your work in our lives with thankful praise. We pray this in your name. Amen.